Welcome to Journaling with Nature, the podcast for those who want to turn curiosity into wonder, a pencil sketch into a rabbit hole of discovery, a moment of stillness into a life full of joy. I'm your host, Bethan Burton. Let's open the pages of our nature journals and explore this world together. Hello, this is episode 76. Today's guest is an artist from New Zealand who I connected with only recently. As soon as I looked at her website, I knew that I wanted to have her as a guest on the podcast. Hannah Shand creates detailed, fine art pieces of native birds of New Zealand. Her work is visually stunning, but the reason I was particularly keen to chat with Hannah is because of the conservation message behind everything that she does. Hannah is committed to raising awareness and appreciation of New Zealand's bird life and has partnered with conservation organisations to use her artwork to help fundraise for their conservation efforts. Part of the process of creating Hannah's amazing pieces involves getting to know the birds, and this often means Hannah gets the chance to travel the country and visit remote predator-free islands and bird sanctuaries. We spoke about Hannah's experiences with New Zealand's unique and fascinating birds and how she translates these wildlife encounters onto the page. Let's listen. Thank you so much for being here with me. I look forward to going into your story and your artwork. Thanks for being here. It's very exciting to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. So I always love to hear about how it all began and I'm wondering if you've always been connected with nature. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Growing up, I was very fortunate to move around quite a bit when I was younger. So I was born in Australia, moved to New Zealand, and then um, when I was seven, I moved to America, lived there for a couple of years, moved back to Australia, lived there for four years, and then moved back to New Zealand. But while we were traveling, my mum especially is really, really into nature. So whenever we'd go to a new place, <laughs> the go-to for us was like wildlife sanctuary, you know, sometimes <laughs> zoos, bushwalks, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, sort of getting to know the area like in America, we had this beautiful walking track with beavers and, you know, to walk down and see mm. how they'd gnawed away at the tree and, you know, the dams that they'd build. Yeah, that was that was a really special sort of thing to see. Um, like in Australia, we went to a place called the Dandenongs. I don't know if you've heard of that mm-hmm. before. I haven't been there, but yeah. it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, so just, yeah, my mum has a really big passion for nature and... She also loves rescuing birds as well. Um, so over the years, we've had a lot of baby birds that she has hand-reared and released. Oh, um, wow. And ones that have come back year after year. So, you know, each season they'll come back and, you know, she's named them like gorgeous names like Fluffy. <laughs> things like that but you know honestly they come back and yeah it's it's just been really special so yeah she has definitely yeah sort of shown me what it's you know like to really care for nature and care for those lovely little birds that might yeah need rescuing or injured and things like that yeah oh wow I love that story because Often it only takes one person in our lives to be a role model or to be a mentor of sorts. 
to really instill a love of nature that we carry with us for for the rest of our lives and it sounds like your mum really was that for you yeah definitely and I think now more so as an adult I can really appreciate what she did for me because I think at the time obviously I loved it but I don't think I fully understood what she was doing Mm -hmm. until now that I'm older because you know you go through your teenage period (laughs) all the sorts of different things that you get into and now that I'm an adult I'm like wow I'm really glad that Mm. they took the time to take us to all those places and get to meet all those different types of animals yeah oh wow and tell me about art has art been the same has art been with you since childhood yes yeah definitely so um always been into art started out as a young (laughs) young kid drawing lots of different things like (laughs) Disney characters and a lot of animals as well um Mm -hmm. you know butterflies and I sort of look back at some of my sketchbooks and there's um some birds that I drew about 20 years ago and I've got like a photo up on my Instagram you know comparing (laughs) you know 10 year old me drawing a parrot and now 30 year old me drawing one as well but yeah always really been into art I think what really draws me into it especially is focusing on the detail of everything kind of that I do um so I did a lot of art at high school and then I got into sewing as well so I actually pursued like a fashion degree I did like a four-year fashion degree in Wellington um and sort of worked in the fashion industry but when I did that you know with sort of presentation boards and things everything was always done by hand like anything Mm -hmm. that I could do by hand I was drawing and sketching yeah so always (laughs) (laughs) that's so great that it's been with you because a lot of people you know most children love making art and then there's a often a period when we stop but it sounds like you never stopped and you brought it along with you yeah definitely um Yeah, and sort of the way that I got into doing art full-time is kind of interesting as well because I finished my fashion degree and I started working in the fashion industry in one of my first jobs. So it's actually quite hard working in the fashion industry, I found out. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, I started off working in like a retail store and Mm -hmm. the journey to my work was an hour on the train each way. So um, the way I started getting my creative outlet was actually drawing birds on the train um, oh wow yeah so that's um yeah I had a wee look um and it was eight years ago that I started doing that so I sort of developed my style yeah on the train back then <laughs> yeah that's amazing and then there was a point where you said hang on this fashion thing's not for me and pivoted to be a full-time artist was that was that a big leap or did it feel very natural oh Oh, it, it definitely was a big leap. Um, I yeah, I worked in the fashion industry for about four years. And yeah, I just, I felt like something was missing. Like there were parts that I enjoyed, but often when you work in the fashion industry, you're sort of part of a production line. So I did a lot of like, you know, mm. cutting out clothing and helping with the production, but the actual creativity often you're not actually getting to do that unless you're you know the designer or the owner of the business um so yeah I definitely felt like the creative side of me 
and that's why I was drawing, you know, on the train, on the weekends, <laughs> after work, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it definitely was a big leap. Um, in I guess the sort of final two years of working in the fashion industry, I was um, drawing a lot, especially like on weekends, and I took on a couple of commissions. And then in the final year before I decided to do art full-time, quite a few big sort of significant things happened. I met my lovely partner and mm. he owned his own business at the time and he saw, even on our first date, <laughs> he saw the passion that I had for mm. my drawing and he was like, oh, you know, are you telling people that people could buy this? And I'm like, no. He's like, maybe you should. You know, maybe you should just write that someone can buy this. So yes. um, he really fostered, you know, or he could see in me that I could. The potential of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so over sort of the last year, I saved as much as, you know, I could, didn't go on any holidays. Um, I lived with my parents at the time, which, yeah, sort of meant that I could save and yeah we went through a quiet period or a quiet season at the job that I was working because fashion can be quite seasonal and yeah I just decided that I was going to give it my best shot I had saved enough so that I could you know pay to live for I think four or five months and I just mm -hmm, thought look, mm -hmm. I can survive this long and even if I don't sell anything I can get another job um yeah and yeah, that was four and a half years ago. And oh, I, fantastic. yeah, I think it was the best decision yeah, mm -mm. ever because I never believed that I would be an artist. I never thought that. And I think that's why I sort of went into fashion because I, I don't know, I just never thought that I could work for mm. myself. It wasn't something I thought I could do. So having someone else believe in me was a huge factor into, yeah. Wow. My own. That is so cool. Congratulations on doing <laughs> that because it's a big deal and yeah. you did it and now you're flying and it's so wonderful. Yeah. And <laughs> the thing is as well, like, you know, not everyone, not, not that I had anyone discouraging me, but mm. not everyone believed that it would be possible, you know? Yes. And yes. I think the fact that I've made it work and really be thriving as well is you know, really exciting and being able to go on a bushwalk and say well this is a work trip this is work, like, yes. this is work. I'm <laughs> yes. doing this beautiful nature walk and yes. I'm working I'm learning about the birds and you know the nature around me so oh yeah amazing and so your main focus the main focus of your work is native birds of New Zealand yes. and I was really drawn to your work because of the connection you make between art and conservation. Yeah. And I clicked on your website and the first thing that really drew me in was the video you created to show your process of creating the artwork, A Lost Harmony. Oh, yes. <laughs> I wonder if you could talk about the story of the huya and the conservation message behind this painting you created. Yeah, so, so that was definitely a really special artwork that I created. Um, so I was commissioned to do um, that piece by a lovely couple up in Auckland. 
And so the huia, for those who haven't heard of the bird, is an extinct bird of New Zealand. And they were last seen in the early 1900s, um, about 1907. And they became extinct for a couple of reasons. So um, introduced predators when, you know, we settled in New Zealand, we brought along with us lots of things that birds weren't accustomed to, like stoats and, you know, rabbits and possums and all sorts of things that <laughs> our birds that often, you know, nest on the ground or feed on the ground um, weren't used to. And they were also, um, their beautiful tail feathers go from black and then a couple of centimeters from the bottom they change to white and mm. they they're very beautiful and they were like a status symbol so um they were hunted for their tail feathers okay. and it became like a fashion accessory um so unfortunately they had a few things um that against them <laughs> yeah so the predators, the um, also habitat loss as well. So mm. New Zealand is very well known for farming. So a lot of the native bush got um, taken out for farming mm. and, you know, the trees to build houses and all sorts of things like that. So, yeah, they sadly became extinct. Um, but they're a really incredible looking bird. So they're a wattle bird and they've got really unique beaks um, as well so the female has a long curved beak and then the male has a short um, a short straight beak and I think they have or they had like the biggest difference of beak shape between male and female like I think they used to think they were actually mm -hmm. different species but it was the okay. male and the female um, <laughs> and yeah it's really lovely like the huia they work together the male and female they um pair for life they bond for life mm. and the female um will often like the male so they feed on like old um sort of you know rotten trees and things on the ground often along with other stuff um but the male will pick hard at like a piece of wood and then the female will put her beak in and grab the bugs out so oh, that's wow. how they, they would they help together you yeah wow that's incredible and the and the message was that we have so much to lose and exactly if we, if we don't if we don't preserve it and I love that you had that voiceover it was an old uh a voiceover from the radio and it was uh, a presenter talking about the huya and and a Maori man talking doing the call re reproducing the call yeah that was that was a really special recording because there's no um actual recordings of the mm. birds and there's no photographs mm. either so all we have is taxidermy um oh yeah so it was quite an interesting process to create the artwork because there are no photos so i used about 50 different images of taxidermy from like museum archives along with photos I'd taken myself of like similar shaped birds there's Tui and Krokako which are kind of similar so it was very interesting <laughs> to create yeah. a realistic artwork of an extinct bird um, and also the composition is sort of symbolic of the male and female sort of creating that harmonious shape yes and with the name as well sort of 
showing that they have harmony together but also exactly as you said a lost harmony like with them being lost we do have so much to lose Mm -hmm. with other birds I think too as well people when I sort of talk about the hui everyone's like oh you know I wish we could do something about it or I wish they were still here and I think what's important with that artwork is to talk about there's so many birds in New Zealand that are on the brink of extinction now and we want to protect them while we're here and not say oh what if we did this or what if we did that or Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. yeah sort of use it as a symbol to protect what we have yeah Yeah. and I didn't realize but I learned from you uh, (laughs) that New Zealand has one of the highest extinction rates in the world for plants and animals and I guess it's because of this about um, introduced predators but Mm. um, there's this amazing system that has developed in New Zealand for maintaining predator free islands and moving species to different islands I spent some time in New Zealand when I was young when I was a teenager I put on my backpack and that was the first place I went and I spent some yeah I spent time in Stewart Island which is the island at the very bottom of New Zealand for those who haven't seen it um and so there's a parrot there called the kakapo and uh, they were moving kakapo to they had moved kakapo to a uh, an outer island that was predator free Mm -hmm. and and yeah I'd love to know about your experience with this whole idea of moving animals to predator-free islands just to maintain the population? Yeah, so it's really cool that um, you've asked that question because one of the ways or one of the things that really, really sparked my massive love for birds was Zealandia, which is um, the first mainland predator-free fenced sanctuary, um, which, yeah, was... Well, it's an amazing place. So it's in the middle of our capital city in a valley with a reservoir. And they've built like a predator-proof fence around the whole sanctuary and they've eradicated um, the predators, you know, with um, trapping and and Mm -hmm. maintaining like the boundary, making sure there's no trees close to it where predators, predators can come in. And going to that place was it was amazing um i had never been to anywhere quite like that before where the birds were just really thriving and it was an amazing place to to visit so that was kind of yeah the place that really grew my love for native Mm. birds um and since then i've been to lots of other um amazing predator-free islands like Kapiti Island and Tiritiri Martini Island. And they're definitely a really important place where they can monitor birds and help with the breeding programs and sort of build the birds up and then relocate them to different islands where they're safe from predators. And you had the chance to um, participate in banding some kaka chicks. I'd love to hear about <gasps> I that. Know. Oh. <laughs> So the kaka are a native New Zealand parrot and yeah, they're a a beautiful brown parrot with oranges and reds and um, they're very smart, very intelligent. And yeah, so they introduced uh, kaka to Zealandia about 12 years, nearly 20 years ago. And since then they have like carefully monitored them 
and um, they've got like nest boxes throughout the sanctuary to help um, encourage them with their breeding and to keep them safe. And one of my lovely friends, uh, Judy Lapsley Miller, she, um, oh, she's been amazing. She's introduced me to a lot of incredible things. She um, introduced me to photography um, a couple mm -hmm. of years ago. So I've started taking my own photographs and she's also a volunteer at Zealandia as well. So she started off, I think she started off helping with the sort of feeding stations. They've got some supplementary feeding stations. So she was helping with that. But slowly, she's like kaka crazy. <laughs> her and her, yeah, her and her husband, Linton, they um, have been helping monitor the chicks for years and sort of slowly started helping with recording the statistics and then um, doing the banding as well. So earlier this year I was very very lucky because I was in Wellington at the right time for the breeding season and when the chicks were at the right age to be banded and yeah they they asked me if I'd like to come along <laughs> and Amazing. of course yeah of course yeah said, how can yeah. you say no <laughs> yeah so um so yeah it was an amazing amazing day we you know, sort of went off the tracks to the different nest boxes and yeah I got to help them yeah with the, with the banding so they've got it down to a T um, okay. with the process and making sure that you hold them in the correct way to protect yep. them and make sure they don't get hurt um, and part of that process is like weighing them and Sort of having a wee sort of check over measuring like their beak their wing their tail and then putting bands on them as well so each chick will have like a different combination of bands so that it can be identified from a distance yeah okay yes yeah, wow. so. and this program's been really successful because i read that now some of the kaka are actually flying over the yes. fence into the nearby suburb so in essence releasing themselves <laughs> yes definitely yeah so there's like a flow over effect because Zealandia has been so successful they're safe inside the sanctuary and often nest and breed but then they will venture out into the city so like I was at Amazing. parliament near parliament in the middle of Wellington and I saw a kaka so that's incredible. Yeah. And other birds have um, really thrived from Zealandia as well, like the tui and other birds like the hee hee stitch bird and yeah, lots of other birds. Riflemen have been introduced. And wow. yeah, it's just a really exciting thing to see in the middle of a in the middle of a city. Mm -hmm. They've done an incredible job and inspired a lot of other people to do the same. So that's one other really cool thing as well is just how they've yeah, inspired and shown other people what protecting an area will do because it's not just the area, but they'll flow over the fence. So it's Amazing. really cool. It's a special place. And sometimes there's one particular individual who becomes important. And I'd love for you to tell the story of Whisper, the Mopok, oh. the Ruru. Yeah, she was she was a beautiful bird. Um, so when I, um, as part of my work, I travel around New Zealand, which is amazing, and trying to visit as many bird sanctuaries and bird watching hotspots as I can. Um, still, many many more to go to. 
Um, mm. But an amazing place is Wingspan Birds of Prey Trust in Rotorua. And they do lots of different things there. They do education, you know, lots of people can come and see the birds. Um, so advocacy and breeding programs. And a beautiful, beautiful bird there was a bird called Whisper. And she was a moorpork. And when I was there a couple of years ago, I was very like lucky and I got to go meet her. And yeah, I got to take lots of photos and learn a bit about her. And yeah, she was just a really, really special bird. So she came to Wingspan as an egg and a forestry worker had found her or found the egg. Um, at like abandoned like on the ground so they took it to wingspan and they incubated wow. the egg and yeah so she she was a really special bird to everyone who worked there yes and yes yeah so when I when I went there took lots of photos and I had her as <laughs> the lock screen of my phone for about a year <laughs> I always have a lot of I've always had a lot of like commissions to do so I knew I would keep her on my lock screen and at <laughs> some point I'll get to draw her so yeah I think it was in 2020 I started to work on her to draw like a close-up side profile of her I, I really like seeing all the beautiful little delicate feathers around their face mm. which often front on you don't see and I wanted to do some fundraising with Mm -hmm. um the with the artwork so yeah I contacted Wingspan just as I was about to sort of finish the artwork and I couldn't believe it but the day that I contacted them was the morning that she had died oh, <laughs> I dear. know yeah. yes but she lo she lived with them from an egg till she was 13 is that right yeah it's amazing and sounds like she I read a, one of the articles that uh, linked from your website about how she was um they would pop some eggs under her so she incubated other um, yes. babies and yes. sounds like she was a very important part of oh, the whole she was. place I think as well when you get to see a bird that close up it gives you like it makes you care about all uh, you yes. know all the other birds a lot more I think it's hard sometimes you know when you do see birds it's always very fleeting you know or you mm -hmm. see them from a distance but when you get to see you know something really close up it sort of grows your passion for for them <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I love your idea mm -hmm. to fundraise as a way of connecting art and conservation mm -hmm. and um yeah bringing the two together and this it sounded like your um your whisper fundraiser went really well yeah yeah so it, it, it did go really well um so I've sort of done fundraising in a couple of different ways sometimes I've like donated prints for um for giveaways all sorts of different things and it kind of started off where I could raise a couple of hundred dollars um and then with that one I donated 30% of the sales for two weeks when I released the artwork and yeah with that one I was able to raise just under 2000 um, that's amazing that and yeah I think my aim is to try and grow what I can do mm. for conservation as my artwork improves um, and sort of grows um, so yeah last year I 
yeah, had a, had a really great year and did, did a lot of conservation work. So I used my Huia artwork in a couple of different ways with the New Zealand Nature Fund, which is another conservation group. And I was part of a charity auction event. And yeah, we, with, with that artwork and another one as well, I um, auctioned one off on Trade Me. I raised just over 13,000 with, with that artwork. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really big. Wow. Congratulations. I believe, yeah. I was <laughs> Obviously, I was there. And I almost couldn't watch my stuffing <laughs> auction top. It was, it was really scary. But um, yeah, it's cool. That's wonderful. Thank you. That you can that you can work doing your creative passions. That your office can be the forest. Yeah. <laughs> that you can uh, raise money to help conservation efforts. So, so positive. So wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I. I feel like now that I've found what I want to do, mm. so many things that mm. I've dreamed up and goals that I want to achieve. And yeah, it's just, it's the best job ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd love to talk about your process because your pieces are incredibly detailed. And I know the listener will be really interested to know how you go about it. So it starts off with a photograph and you said that you have been taking some of your own mm -hmm. photographs lately. Maybe you can walk us through the whole process from start to finish. Yeah. So, well, in the last couple of years, I've done a lot of commissions. It's predominantly been commission work. And so often I'll have someone come to me and they'll ask for a particular bird mm -hmm. and the next step from that is researching where to find the bird. <laughs> and, you know, often these birds will be endangered and there will only be small numbers of them in certain parts of the country. And often I'll take a, a road trip and take my camera and um, wow. do my best to photograph them. And obviously with birds... They don't sit still for very long. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, often I don't get I don't get the photo or I don't mm -hmm. get the best photo. You mm -hmm. know, often I'll have to um, Photoshop different parts of the bird into one bird yes, <laughs> um, okay. to a pose that I that I want to use. Um, mm -hmm. but I spend, you know, quite a bit of time watching them and learning how they move and how they interact with each other uh quite a few of my artworks i'll have like two birds as well um mm -hmm. which i think is important because mm. i love showing the connection between the different birds and the male and the female or it, it doesn't matter what they are but you know just showing a connection and mm. a lot of people who've bought my art have said oh I see myself in this artwork and I think that's mm. really important because wow. when you see yourself or somebody else or you know my children or you know I've got yes. some pictures of little cuddly birds cuddled up um people are more inspired to care about them yes and yeah so after spending as much time as I can with them and I do have to say that you know often it is really hard to see particular birds so 
often I'll team up with a photographer who lives in the area and has beautiful photos. So, um, yeah, so I do work with other photographers as well when I mm-hmm. can't take the photos myself. Um, but I do try and take them because I want to experience what it was like being there yes. with them. And, yeah, so from all the different photos that I'll take, um, the next step is Photoshop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um mm-hmm. Because as I said, yeah, it can be really hard with birds moving so quickly and not sitting still to get the perfect photo. So often I'll take multiple different photos and, you know, with the research that I would do, I'll learn about what type of trees, you know, or plants that they like to eat or what they'd naturally want to be perched on. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Photoshop all the different aspects of the image together um your originals are quite large and your strokes are quite tiny I'm (laughs) sure it takes a really long time to finish uh, a piece yes yeah so I draw in fine tip black pen and my favorite pen is a 0.05 which Mm. is the tiniest pen that I've found (laughs) And I draw, yes, like in a realistic style. So to be able to get all that detail in, I like to draw them as big as possible. Um, So yeah, often my originals will be like about an A2 or an A1 Mm. size. Um, Yeah, to be able to enable me to draw all that detail in there. So I spend... Yeah, about like one to three months working on one piece at a time. So, <laughs> And you start off with, I heard you say you start off with the eye and that makes so much sense because the eye is is the soul of the bird. Exactly, yeah. And if I, if there's no life in the eye, then there's there's no point drawing the artwork. I'll, I'll start again. <laughs> Yeah, so I yeah, sort of start with the eyes and then the face and then I'll, because I sort of spend such a long time on it, I'll sort of draw maybe what I feel like on the day, you know, like different yeah. things that I find interesting. And I'm amazed because you do almost like full detail in one area and it's it's like putting the pieces of a puzzle together because you'll have, instead of like layering it like you do with the watercolour painting, mm-hmm. for example, it's like full detail and it expands out in full detail. It's quite astonishing mm-hmm. to see a half-finished fin- half piece of yours because it's so perfect and then there's the blank page that it sort of just grows out in full yeah. detail. It's so fascinating. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, yeah, I, I take I take my time with my pieces. That's That's one sort of rule is because I can't, rub anything out I have to really take my time to draw the piece um do you feel anxiety halfway through a piece when you're putting it's looking great and you're adding more (laughs) to it or are you relaxed about it uh, it depends what part of the drawing I'm doing so (laughs) I've definitely felt anxious for sure doing certain parts like for example like the huia um Mm -hmm. It was the feet. I was so nervous yeah. about the feet because I was drawing the feet in a certain position that I didn't have a photo of. And, you know, I, I can't go out and photograph them. So to draw yes. them as realistically as possible, 
yeah, I just want to do justice to the bird, really, and yeah, show its beauty and make it as realistic as I can. Yes, yeah. yes. I'm wondering. Um, I I don't know why I wonder about this, but sometimes I think whether um, a person's art style reflects their personality. And your art style is very detailed, very precise, and I wonder if you're detailed and precise in other areas of life. Yes, <laughs> you can <call> me. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, the, the other jobs that I've had have reflected that quite a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and working in fashion, the thing that I loved is how perfect you can make things, you know, mm-hmm. sewing perfect seams and um so I worked in bridal so I loved like hand stitching lace sewing Mm -hmm. beads and I worked um in the film industry I worked um on the hobbit and I made hobbit gloves And, (laughs) and I would be hand stitching hobbit gloves and I'd be counting the number of stitches from a photo because you know with with movies there's um or especially with the hobbit there's lots of different people that play the same character in all different heights um for the different scenes and um you know each set of gloves would have to be scaled with the same amount of stitches and the same angle and all sorts of stuff like that and like wow. I loved it I loved yeah. it <laughs> that suited you I think 55 hours a week hand sewing clothes, <laughs> you know like I loved it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I saw one of your reels and it made me crack up I loved it it was um you and the the voiceover was saying nobody's gonna know don't worry no one's gonna know and you're drawing with two pens at the same time and then four pens at the same time <laughs> It made me laugh so much. Do you actually do that sometimes? Do double? No. (laughs) I was wondering if it was just for the humor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was really fun creating that. Um, And of course, I I did it in an area on the artwork um, that was really, really dark. I'd never do do that. So it didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) it's just because with that tiny pen, I am just in the dark areas just creating like I'm going over and over and over and over and I just thought it was so funny like pretending that I could draw with four pens if only if only I could <laughs> it cracked me up because when you were doing two I thought oh that's an interesting technique and then you were doing one on each hand and I thought mm, and then there was four and I thought nah. <laughs> yeah. I loved it it made me laugh so oh, much <laughs> I'm wondering do you have a favorite bird or is that too hard I feel like that is, yeah, I feel like that's a really, really difficult question. Mm. Um, I love, like, we've got so many really lovely, friendly birds, and a lot Mm. of people are drawn to those birds. Yeah, Um, like the robin. Oh, the robin, yeah. So (laughs) they, uh, often when you go on a bushwalk, you'll see robins. So they're attracted to your um, movement through the bush, and when you sort of kick up leaves and, and things like that, little insects will um, be disturbed, and that's why they are attracted. But it feels like they're following you. It's, it's like, oh yeah, spend time together. <laughs> yeah. And um, I love fantails as well. My friend yeah. Judy, who I mentioned earlier, she jokes, "Oh, you're the fantail whisperer," but <laughs> you know, yeah. So I do love um, those. Yeah, lovely, friendly birds, and mm-hmm. 
I think as well other birds that I really love would be like the white heron they're very majestic and um, I've had some really special encounters with them sort of driving down um, the highway and seeing one randomly on the beach on its own fishing um, and you know everyone hold on we've got to turn back you know and then sort of wandering down and watching um the white heron sort of fishing and taking photos i've also been to their nesting ground or oh, their wow. nesting lagoon in ocarito as well so that was really amazing but i i think it's so hard to pick obviously the more book like Mm-mm. it's the ones that you have those encounters with that yes. stand out to me yeah. yes and I'm also wondering whether whether spending all those hours drawing a particular species makes you fall in love with it, makes you um, develop a relationship with that particular species. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, and I think too, yeah, as I said, sometimes you can't get the perfect shot in one trip. So I'll be spending, you know, going to a place multiple times, you know, observing the birds and photographing them and, yeah, definitely spending that time with them makes you, yeah, appreciate them and mm. want to care for them. One of my favourite New Zealand species is the tui. I think it's oh. so special. It's such a lovely, fancy, feathery um, neck adornment. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, we're very spoilt for choice here in New Zealand. Every, yeah, there's so many interesting and incredible birds yeah the tui the tui everyone loves the tui Mm -hmm. they have the incredible song they um they actually it's it's amazing there's a um video on youtube they can imitate different noises okay (laughs) um or learn to imitate different noises like car alarms or people's voices Mm. or ringtones um or yeah, I, I'm sure it's one of my partner's work work friends and the Tui has learnt the sound of her alarm on her phone oh. to wake her up. <laughs> That's <laughs> incredible. Which is pretty cool, so very clever. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I ask people about to describe what nature looks like when they step outside and I think you live in Southland, is that right? Yes, yeah. So we moved down here two years ago and... Even though we've lived here for two years, it still feels like we're very new to the area. Okay. And, yeah, so we had an opportunity to come down here for Nick, my partner's work. And we were definitely really drawn to this area because I hadn't been down here before. So we moved down here and I'd never been. (laughs) Um, But there's so many beautiful, beautiful places all within Mm. a couple of hours from where we live. So we're in a very small rural town and we're surrounded by a lot of farmland. Um, Mm. But we have two beautiful bushwalks within like 10 minutes. So we've got like little patches of bush that's still left. And Mm -hmm. um, so there's lots of native birds there. Um, but within the wider region of where we live, um, there's Stewart Island, which is where you've been, and the mm-hmm. Catlins, um, which is a whole coastline of beautiful places to visit, waterfalls, bushwalks, and 
I think when overseas visit is probably search New Zealand, there's like Milford Sound and Fiordland yes. and amazing places um, all within a couple of hours. So even though we've been here two years, there's so, so many places that I haven't been yet. So it's yes. exciting to be here. That's amazing. And it's, uh, so I wanted to talk to you about something you did when you were creating, I think you were creating your art studio and you hid a little time capsule in the walls of the studio. And I'd love to hear the story because I thought it was so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So my partner and I, when we moved here, um, we were very lucky to be able to purchase our first home and, We've got a sleep out in the backyard that my partner's renovating. And when the walls came off, because he's rejibbing and insulating, I was like, wouldn't it be amazing to put a little treasure in there so that if anyone in the future, you know, redid or renovated um, that little sleep out, that they'd find the history of me, you know, using that studio for my art. So I... I put quite a lot, so I got a biscuit tin and um, I put lots of different goodies in there from like some local um, newspapers, some coins, some stamps, and then I put a lot of photographs and on the back of each photograph I wrote the story of where I was or, or what the photo meant to me. I put some artworks just lots of little treasures oh and like a big letter as well sort of a letter yeah the letter and you literally wrote to the people of the future which is always so special yeah yeah so I just I hope that someone finds it in the future and um can you imagine finding something like that when you when you took the walls off it would have been amazing I know yeah so I, I I hope someone finds it and enjoys all the the goodies that I put in there and I hope I'm still alive and they can contact me that amazing amazing would that be yeah that's a beautiful story I love that (laughs) (laughs) so I'd love to talk about your recent experiences you had the chance to go to some sub-Antarctic islands and have a bit of an adventure there and I'd love for you to describe that that journey yeah so that so that was amazing um so I was yeah, very fortunate to be invited as a guest artist on a trip with Heritage Expeditions. Um, so it was an incredible trip to the sub-Antarctic islands, which if you zoom into a map very, very closely, <laughs> you're able to find these islands like most people wouldn't even know they existed. Um, so it was a 13-day trip out in the Southern Ocean, traveling five different islands. And honestly, when I asked, uh, when they asked me, I was very, very scared. (laughs) (laughs) Scared to go there? Scared of the pressure of what you had to produce? uh, Scared of the journey. Yeah, I I would say I've overcome my fear now, but I did have Mm. a fear of being on <laughs> being on a ship Stuck on the ice somewhere <laughs> yeah and I think too I think it was the fear of knowing that one when, when I left there was no way back like no one's mm, okay I, I can't you know say oh can't change your mind once <laughs> <laughs> but um you know the southern ocean is very 
well known for its treacherous waters and you know yeah did you have some rough seas did you feel seasick or were you okay um so we had I think it was maybe about 24 hours of seven meter swells so (laughs) (laughs) so that was towards the end um yeah and by then yeah I think I had become accustomed to to being out in the ocean but um sleeping in that type of condition feels very very strange because you're sleeping and you can feel all of your organs sort of being pushed from you know in your abdomen up you know you can feel your (laughs) organs sloshing around in your body Um, that would have taken some getting used to (laughs) yeah but um and so what was your artistic role? What did you have to do? Or was your job just to be there and soak it all in? So I went and took lots of photographs and I'm producing mm-hmm. a couple of artworks based on my trip there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, the islands the islands were really incredible and each one very unique. And mm-hmm. so, like, for example, the first one we went to was the Bounty Islands and they're like big almost like big rocks in the sea with no plants, just covered in albatross and seals. And then some of the other islands were, you know, covered in what's called mega herbs, which are these really big, beautiful, you know, plants that I I didn't even know existed. Um, Like I described them as... So there was one in particular called the Campbell Island Carrot. And it doesn't look like a carrot at all. It looks like a broccoli, but a pink, a pink broccoli, like a big, wow. a big pink broccoli on these long stems. But I, yeah, I encourage everyone to look up mega herbs because they're just really <laughs> interesting plants um, and lots of different bird life and interesting creatures at each island we saw lots of seals sea lions elephant seals penguins lots of different species of penguins parrots yeah it it was really really special very very lucky to get to go that's a beautiful opportunity wow Mm -hmm. and then to take that home and to be able to even relive it by um creating the artwork must be really special yeah so um, my younger brother came with me, which was also amazing and eased <laughs> eased my fear yes. of being out there. But yeah, as I said, like it was scary, but there was no way I was not going to go. Yes. It was just one yes. of those things where, you know, you just got to overcome your fear. Um, and yeah, he took this beautiful photo of an Antipodes Island albatross, and that's what um, I've been drawing at the moment. Yeah beautiful albatross out in flight that he photographed from the side of the ship that's incredible yeah you mentioned before that you have a lot of plans and hopes for the future and I wonder if you want to talk about some of those or do you want to keep them as a surprise (laughs) I'd like to yeah talk about a couple of them um so one thing this year that's really exciting is I have decided not to take on any more new commissions. Mm-hmm. So the past yeah, four and a half years, I think maybe like 80% of what I've drawn has been a commission. Mm-hmm. And I did love drawing those commissions for people, but over the years I've photographed so many different things 
and I've got a bit of a backlog of artwork that I've really wanted to draw. So yes. this year's going to be really like a special opportunity to draw all of those pieces that um, mm. that I've been dreaming up and hoping yeah. to do. And um, I'd like to continue and sort of grow the amount of support I can do for conservation as well. That's mm. grown a lot last year. And yeah, I've got some big goals and dreams like if I can have my own bird sanctuary down in Southland yes that would be incredible amazing it sounds like you've had lots of uh, opportunities to see how they're set up and see how they're run and see see what best practice is that that sounds like such a great dream yeah and I think the cool thing about you know fundraising and working with different conservation groups isn't you know you're helping the birds but you're also meeting these incredible people and making friends and mm. learning and um yeah I've met a lot of really lovely people who've taught me a lot mm. and the these places also help um connect the public with the species so when exactly. when you experience something you begin to love it and when you love it you can make steps to conserve it and I think that these places help help that they they open up the hearts of people who visit exactly yes yes spot on yeah <laughs> and I love that your artwork is doing the same because you said that the people who um see your artwork often say they see themselves in in those animals and when we can make that connection when we can make that leap yes we are um we are alike and that helps people make a heart connection with the animals as well so your art not only it's doing it's doing its job twofold because you're doing these fundraising efforts and you're um, working with conservation organizations but also you're making that heart connection just by allowing people to see themselves in those birds yeah yeah exactly thank you so much for being here it's been amazing to chat with you about conservation and New Zealand birds I have my own experiences in New Zealand and I feel connected through the heart to New Zealand and New Zealand wildlife and so it's been really fun and exciting to chat with you about your art thank you for being here thank you thank you it was amazing to to chat with you I loved it I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Hannah I took so many things away from this chat I loved hearing about the people in Hannah's life who fostered and encouraged her. Her mother who encouraged that deep love of birds and nature and her partner who helped her make that big leap to become a full-time artist. It just takes someone to be there and believe in a dream that we have and that can help change a dream into reality. I also really loved hearing about Hannah's experiences with various conservation organisations and how committed she is to protecting the diversity of New Zealand's precious bird species. I especially loved the message behind Hannah's piece, A Lost Harmony, and the story of the huia. She's absolutely right that this incredible bird can be a symbol and a reminder to us that yes, it's deeply sad to have lost the species that are already gone, but that there are species that are right on the edge of that extinction precipice now, and that it's our chance and also our responsibility to do whatever we can to avoid losing them. Follow the links in the show notes to watch the moving video about the creation of the piece A Lost Harmony. 
you'll find that video on the front page of Hannah's website. In the show notes, you'll also see links to her social media pages, as well as links to the conservation groups that were mentioned during the conversation. If you're interested in buying one of Hannah's pieces, you can do this from her website too. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.